This episode brought to you by the following patrons. Jeff, Amy, Matthew, Damasaurus, Taco Cat, Awesome Possum Blossom, William, Brandon, Dave, Scott, Tristam, Kate, Isaac, Ori, Karoon, Eddie, and Nick B. And all the patrons want you to know that you're loved, you're listened to, and you're a valuable member of this awesome Horror Virgin community. And if you want to hang out with all of us and the people whose names I just mentioned, join the Facebook group and or the Discord server where we are active daily. I really want to say this, and I know it's a different podcast. I know this is on Romancing the Pod that dropped this morning. I really thought I that there would be someone in the Facebook group for Romancing the Pod that would have been on board with the dick in the mailbox. And it hurts my feelings that I was the only one who thought Keanu Reeves should have put his dick in the mailbox. <laughs> have Selma Hayek's feet in my mouth, and I'm not a feet guy. Sounds like you're a feet guy. No, I'm not, I'm not a feet <laughs> If your guy. mouth was a mailbox and Selma Hayek's foot was a dick, <laughs> it'd be in there. I any part that Selma Hayek offers me into my mouth. That's fair. No judgment. I, I mean, yeah, I, you should. That's something you should do. Right. Bucket list. Yeah. <laughs> Bucket list, Mikey. I'm not even talking about that. If she was just like, here, here's my little thing, just like. Just put things in your mouth. She's just like, yeah. here, hold these sugar packets. Here are my keys. So you're not saying you want to be in a relationship with Selma Hayek. You want to be her mouth purse. I'm just yeah. saying I will take what I can get when it comes to someone like Selma Hayek. You know what Here's I'm saying? Here's a crumpled receipt. Here's an extra tampon. Here's a packet of gum. If she wants me to just like suck on her elbow, I, I guess I'll be doing it because the story. You know what I'm saying? One time I was Selma Hayek's purse. <laughs> you know what's wild, Paige? What? When Mikey was talking about his neighbor for those past episodes, that was Selma Hayek. What? (laughs) Okay, I think you guys all know me well enough that if I had a sexual encounter with Selma Hayek, there's like zero chance I wouldn't be screaming it from the rooftops. (laughs) Everyone on the planet would know that this happened. I would have changed like my Instagram photo to I sucked on Selma Hayek's elbow. (laughs) And all I got was this lousy (laughs) t-shirt. tuning into horror virgin i'm Paige. i'm mikey and i'm your horror virgin todd which means i don't like scary movies but you guys make me watch them and this week mikey made us watch from dusk Dusk till till dawn Dawn. so was this the first time either of you had seen this movie before no no okay this was my first time so what was your first experience like Paige? let's start with you um i saw this back in film school like i was still in college um and it wasn't one of my favorite tarantino projects at the time and i know i'm saying that even though it's a robert rodriguez movie but he wrote it and whatever right i mean this is really just so he could get selma hayek to put her foot in his mouth i actually have a lot of notes about why this movie was written and none of them are that and it is wild <laughs> That's, this is, i told todd before i got in the on the call today that i fell down a rabbit hole on this movie and i am prepared to talk about it in fun facts and i'm very excited i'm I excited about that. wait um mm-hmm. yeah so it's not like i disliked it i just it didn't grab me and so i didn't really come back to it all that much until sure. this is one of my husband's favorites okay oh. And so he's been wanting to watch it for a long time. He's watched the documentary behind it and is very, very into this movie. 
and we'd been meaning to watch it and hadn't. So this is probably the first time I'd seen this movie in like 10 years. I liked it a lot better this time, actually. Nice. Than the first time I saw I'm it. I'm surprised you didn't like it as much the first time because you really liked Grindhouse and both of those movies, Death Proof and the other one, Planet Terror, the one we actually did an episode on that I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah, Planet Terror. The one I watched at a Starbucks. Yes. Oh my God, that was a mistake. <laughs> Remember, I would have seen this probably two or three years before Grindhouse came out. So right. I think I like this more because I've seen Grindhouse since. Sure, yeah. Mikey, what was your first experience with it like? I think I saw it in like high school, maybe? Uh, close to when it came out. I liked it a lot uh, when it came out. Uh, I think I liked it more when I watched it this time because I think I have more of an appreciation of like the genre sure. in general. Mm-hmm. And I definitely think it's more of a grindhouse. I think it has more of a grindhouse feel than any of the grindhouse movies. Yeah, it's written closer to actual grindhouse movies in that it's written kind of bad. Yeah, yeah. and like it's silly, and I like that. And, and <laughs> this it was... movie is silly as shit. Yes. <laughs> I and I had a really good time rewatching it the other night. But I, yeah, I really like it. And I thought, you know, we've done some really. Paige and I jointly picked this, by the way. Oh my bad. Uh, we did some. We've done some really scary things, and uh, we thought this would be like a, a palate cleanser. For yeah, a bit. this is a nice reprieve for me. I mean, I because of whatever reason had to watch this movie sort of in public as well, and that was difficult because boobs. Yeah, there are a lot of boobs. And young about- Danny Trejo, and you're like, Ooh. anyone who sees this within a mile is going to get a raging erection. So, like, what am I supposed <laughs> to do? Also, I mean, George Clooney is like. Pretty cool in this. Yeah. He's got that like weird, crazy 90 spiral tat. Yes. And the Caesar haircut. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Which they then used again for what movie was he in where he played Caesar? Oh, Hail Caesar. Oh, yeah. It was Hail Caesar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I sort of dug this movie. Like, it's funny. It's silly. It sort of felt like the first 50, maybe more like 40 minutes of this was like in the vein of like a Reservoir Dogs type thing. Yeah. Uh, the dialogue was interesting, sort of funny. You could sort of see. Quentin Tarantino isms in it though and I don't know yes. because I've seen a lot of his movies at this point and I know again Robert Rodriguez directed this movie but it's Quentin Tarantino written and I just don't know because I've seen a lot of his movies if I'm like oh I know what's going to happen now because he has a lot of tropes he falls back on which I don't think mm-hmm. is necessarily a bad thing I like them well and I will get into it more in fun facts because it's like a whole thing that we need to get into yeah uh, you may have noticed in the credits that there is a story by credit and a written by credit and those are two very different things yeah and so somebody else wrote the base story of this movie and then quentin tarantino turned that into a screenplay and basically tarantinoified this movie with a certain outcome in mind sure and then partnered with rodriguez to direct it so yes there are some tarantinoisms in it absolutely um and there's some repeated things that we'll see much later in a lot of tarantino's movies uh this was actually written right around the same time as reservoir dogs and before Pulp Fiction, but not produced until after. And there's a very interesting reason why, and I will have to get into it in fun because I don't want to ruin it for you because okay. it's so interesting. I can't wait. I also realized that Robert Rodriguez has a thing for shooting people through the hand yes. that I was not prepared for in this movie or in El Mariachi, which is the first time I saw him do it. Mm-hmm. This predates El Mariachi, doesn't it? No, El Mariachi he made for $7,000 for like... I love Robert Rodriguez, but not necessarily because of his movies. His movies are fine. They're good. I'm, I'm not knocking his abilities. He's great. But I like his origin story as a director. is yeah, amazing to me. Really and I have so much respect for him. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, just look it up. It's He wrote a book about it. Yeah. No, it's all over the internet, yeah. too. It's super impressive. Just his drive to be where he is now. I'm very impressed by that. 
Anyway, mm -hmm. uh, but no, I liked this movie a lot. It was good. It was a nice palate cleanser, and I'm very, very glad to not have to watch another super scary movie. Yeah, buckle up, because next week's going to be fucking brutal. Ah! <laughs> All right, well, you just, let's, just, <laughs> let's just jump into this episode. Yes, and let's kind of speed up the boring parts till we get to the vampires. Dude, I think the beginning parts are the best. It's a very interesting heist movie for like an hour, yeah. and then it's Evil Dead Two and a half. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, interesting is an opinion, and I feel like interesting is Evil Dead Two and a Half Vampires. <laughs> <laughs> I did enjoy the first half of this movie more than the back half of this movie. <laughs> I did. I did as well. Uh, I think part of the the one frustration I have with this, and I feel like finding out why it was made the way it was made clears a lot of it up for me. I feel like the back half of this movie has no plot and no story. And I know that they've like made yeah. movies and TV like sequels and TV shows after it building on the mythology. But we don't get a lot of that mythology in this movie really at all unless you're really looking for it in set and whatever. <laughs> but There's I love not that. really an explanation for anything. But I feel like we got a first half with so much explanation and a last half with none this movie overloads us with all of the bank robbery brotherly shit and then gives us no information about fucking vampires yeah don't get me wrong super fun yeah <laughs> no it's like it's like two different movies yes uh, I, yes and like i will say that after they get to the the titty twister the bar even the characters treat each other differently like it's like it's like yes. the first half doesn't even happen so like why even watch it <laughs> Mikey is fully giving you permission to jump right to boobs in this movie. I will say, <laughs> so it had been so long since I had watched this movie that I was watching it and I was like, God, I just remember them pulling up to the bar and it all being in the bar because I did not remember the first hour of this movie. Yeah. So like, you've got a point. It's like serious and logical and like, it's like a Quentin Tarantino heist film. Yeah. And then you get to the bar and it's like, We've gone full on B movie, and I and because they're like, we all are just aware that these are vampires, right? We're not even going to talk about it, and we're like, yeah, okay. And then they move on, and I'm like, and I love that, I dig it. It's just weird. It's the same movie. Clooney says the same line twice, more or less, and it's like, I don't believe in vampires, but my eyes see vampires, so I'm killing vampires. What do we know about vampires? I was like, okay, I'm on board for that. It's like when someone yeah. doesn't explain the time traveling, or when someone starts to explain time traveling in a time traveling movie, and someone's like, shut the fuck up, we don't need that. It's just time travel. We know how time travel works right. we're good yeah. we can jump through it there's a, like a baseline knowledge that we all have we don't need to explain this to the viewer and they're right i was on board for that but maybe we should get into this movie so we could talk about it scene by scene let's do it yeah. so uh we see the sheriff pull up to benny's world of liquor yeah he gets out of the car he stretches from his radio we do hear a report saying that there are suspects on the loose and they are armed and dangerous yeah he goes into the liquor store and they have kind of a conversation. They clearly know each other. They have a very offensive conversation for today's standards. Oh, there are parts of this movie that do not hold up. And this is one of them. Yeah, I think they use like four or five different disparaging words for ethnic minorities. But also hardcore ableist bullshit. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It is bonkers how offensive this conversation is and for a hot second i was like oh no i didn't remember this <laughs> like we picked this movie oh no yeah but they all die so we'll just we'll move on <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah anyway we find out that this particular sheriff is exhausted tired hasn't been feeling great 
And he heard about the bank robbery that happened up in Abilene where they killed four Texas Rangers, three cops, and one civilian. Yeah. And took a hostage. In a partridge in a pear tree. (laughs) (laughs) Four Texas Rangers, three unarmed cops, one civilian lady, and one hostage, please. (laughs) Anyway, so they have a hostage. And they're headed for Mexico, which... To be honest, if you live anywhere near the Mexican border, people are always headed to Mexico when they've committed a crime. It's one of our Los Angeles pastimes to see if people can make it. Sometimes they do. Anyway, <laughs> it was really cool when I when I went to college, I lived in Orange County and it was much closer where you could drive three hours and hit the border. Uh, people would like start in like Newport or Long Beach or whatever. And you just watch the high speed chase on TV and just be like, go, 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 (laughs) hoping that they had enough gas to get there. And then every once in a while, someone gets it, like whips their car up to the fence and just climbs for dear life. (laughs) But most of the time they don't make it. No. So he is a Texas Ranger and he knows that if they're trying to get to the border, they're going to have to pass through his district. Yeah. So he's basically getting ready for a rough night. And yeah, so he, he goes to the bathroom. So he's going to get plastered because if he meets these people, he wants to be good and drunk. Yeah, because he's going to kill him. Um, yeah. So he goes to the bathroom. And as he enters the bathroom, we realize that the robbers are already there in the liquor store. They were in the process of robbing the place. Yeah. And they are holding everyone hostage. And they kind of interrogate the guy behind the counter and he's like, no, I wasn't trying to signal him. We're just friends. Don't worry about it. Like, I'm going to let him get out of here and then you can leave and it'll be fine. But Quentin Tarantino's character, Richie, basically tries to argue that he was signaling the ranger. Yes. And we saw he wasn't. No, we he was not. We saw that he wasn't. Yeah. yeah. Quentin Tarantino's character in this movie is just straight up psycho. And like. Yeah. He's unhinged. He's seeing things. Then we see him see something later. Oh, yeah. Good point. So like, I really do feel like he is seeing things. Like, I think in his mind, he's not lying. He saw something. That actually didn't happen. He's hallucinating. Hallucinating is the word you're talking about. Thank you. That's the word I could not find. And you know what? I never thought about that happening at the gas station, but you're right. It does happen in the RV later on. It it happens in the hotel later on. I just thought it was him lying to himself about that happening. I think he's hallucinating because he asks her about it. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, Yeah, we're getting a little bit ahead, but I think that he was hallucinating this, too. But I think so, too. Yeah. Yeah. So they go back into hiding. The ranger comes out of the bathroom. He's talking to the guy behind the counter, and Quentin Tarantino just walks up and shoots him in the back of the head. Yeah, covers the clerk in, like, blood. It's like if you've seen Pulp Fiction, the scene where they accidentally shoot the guy in the back of the car, and it just, like, paints the back of the car red. Yeah. It's that. Then he tries to argue that the guy behind the counter signaled the ranger, so they end up shooting him also. The girls that they've been holding hostage in the store, thankfully, escape, but the clerk behind the counter is not dead. He goes to his safe, gets a gun. They end up shooting in, in like a shootout in the middle of the store. I love this because Quentin Tarantino has been shot through the hand, so he's a little injured, right? right? But him yeah. and Clooney are like hiding. They're like hiding down behind aisles, right? And the right. clerk is like behind the counter by the alcohol, and right. Clooney is like the man with the plan. He's like grabbing a thing of toilet paper, like pouring like lighter fluid on it or whatever. Kerosene, yeah. And he's telling mm-hmm. Quentin Tarantino, he's like, shoot all the bottles out from above his head. And he's like, okay, go. And so Quentin Tarantino starts shooting those bottles out. And then he lights the toilet paper and just tosses it. And then the guy like catches on fire. And they're screaming at each other about this plan. And I love that the clerk is like, I didn't signal him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that too. He was like, I, I didn't do anything, you assholes. 
Yep. Well, and as they're leaving, Quentin Tarantino picks up a road map, and they're still arguing as the counter explodes, the guy on fire tries to shoot at them again, and they leave the store still yelling and arguing at each other as we see the store just start to explode over and over again. And pieces are, like, landing very close to them. It's insane. Yes. It's awesome. Yeah. I really loved this cold open, though. I thought this was it's so great. Yeah, great. Cold open. I was in it, and I was watching it on my phone, <laughs> yeah. like, in public. I was like, hell yeah. No one does a cold open like Quentin Tarantino. Say what you want about Quentin Tarantino. That dude can write a cold open like nobody's business. Do you remember the one from Inglorious Bastards? Yeah. It's so interesting to me that he's so good at that, and then in The Hateful Eight, he decided not to do one. It's one of his first movies after Sally Mankey dies, which is, I think, impacted his movies quite a bit. Yeah. But also, if you remember, that script got leaked at one point after Django came out. And so there was a lot of changes that may have happened behind the scenes, and it becomes kind of a very different movie. Anyway, yeah, great cold open. And we find out in this cold open that... Quentin Tarantino was just supposed to get a map and come back outside <laughs> and <laughs> robbing the whole place. But we cut to them in the car driving as we get our credits and Quentin Tarantino is duct taping over the hole in his hand. And as the camera pans along the side of the car, we see the hostage in the trunk. Yeah, they do reveal that. Mm-hmm. I really liked the special effect of the hole in the hand. Like he yeah. looks through his hand to see yep. his brother Clooney there. I was like, that's. A cool-ass shot. The special effects in this movie are pretty great most of the way through the movie. I feel like the (laughs) the vampires get a little weird, but I have notes on that, too. But a lot of the prosthetics are amazing, and there's a reason for that. The practical effects look great. Yeah. But Savini was in this film. Savini's in this film for a reason. Again, there is a huge, crazy backstory to this movie that I'm sure is what my husband has been trying to get me to watch in that documentary forever and (laughs) wants to talk about on Patreon. But like, yeah, we need to do that Patreon episode with him because I want to be involved in that conversation. Yeah, I'm super curious now. Yeah, me too. Anyway, so they show up to a motel. They ring the bell. It's a pretty austere motel. There's not much there. They pull the hostage out of the trunk and George Clooney basically tells her like, hey, if you don't talk, if you don't fight, if you don't try to get away. You're going to get through this alive. You just need to listen to me. And so he goes to get the suitcase money from the car and to go scope out the border. And to get food. Like he's just he's just running errands and trying to scope out what's going on to see if they can get out of here and get to Mexico. Right. And you can't really send the person who's bleeding from their hand because that's going to make more of a scene. Right. Uh, But unfortunately, that means that he has to leave the hostage alone with Quentin Tarantino. Who is an unhinged person. Yes. He's a murderer. Yeah. Yeah. Who might also be hallucinating, but the hallucinations only make him murder more. Yeah. And here's the thing. Up to this point, we know he's a murderer baseline. Yeah. We don't know anything else. At least a murderer. murderer. At (laughs) least a murderer and maybe an immortal crime dog. Yeah. But at least a murderer. He's at least a murderer, Mikey. So after George Clooney leaves, he invites the hostage to come over and sit on the bed with him and watch TV. And he kind of she doesn't say yes. And originally she doesn't go. And he kind of like coerces her a little bit because I think she knows that if she doesn't do what he says, she's going to die. Yeah, he does have a gun. So it's not very. I mean, he is asking her, quote unquote, but he's not asking her. Right. Yeah. We cut to a diner where we have Harvey Keitel and his two kids, Scott and Kate, which are Juliet Lewis and Ernest Lou. And we find out in this conversation, basically, that their mother has died 
And that caused Harvey Keitel to kind of have a crisis of faith. He was a preacher. Yeah, it's just like Signs. It's a lot like Signs, but what I really like that I think this movie kind of phrases better than a lot of what Signs did, they encapsulated in this one phrase that I love so much, which is just, I do believe in Jesus and God, but do I love them? No. And it's this idea of like still believing, but being angry. And I'm yeah. just like, this is actually written pretty well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it is. Yeah. If you say anything about Tarantino, it's that he's a good writer. Yeah. And so we find out that they're on their way to, I believe it's El Paso, but they're going to stop before they continue on. Yeah. And we cut back to a news report of the crime spree where we find out that Quentin Tarantino and George Clooney are brothers, the Gecko brothers, and now including the liquor store, they've killed five Rangers, five Texas Rangers, eight (laughs) civil officers, three (laughs) civilian people, and the FBI is here, plus Rangers, local law enforcement, they're taking it personally, they're gonna kill them, and we're gonna drive all the way to Mexico. Yay, I love Christmas. I do love the graphic on the screen. Like, the numbers, like, rack up to that number like they're at a casino. I'm like, that's probably not the best thing to do when you're doing, like, a body count. But all right. No. Did you recognize the reporter? It was Kelly Preston. Yeah. It's Kelly Preston. It's right around the same time that she did one of her uh, other, like, really early movie roles, which is Waiting to Exhale, which she's not credited for. Oh, yeah? And there's a scene in Waiting to Exhale where she gets slapped across the face and is, like, laying unconscious as Angela Bassett just, like, argues with her husband over her unconscious body. It's so great. <laughs> That's wild because she's she was in a lot of stuff before the 90s. Like, she was in film and TV in the 80s. I remember her from a movie in the 80s called Space Camp that I watched a lot as a kid. Oh, man, Space Camp. You know what I'm talking about? I know you would yes. know that. Hell yeah. Space Camp. She- she had a bunch of younger roles and then she had like not a lot for a while. So then when she started doing roles again as an adult, she ends up uncredited in a couple things. She is credited in this, though. OK, yeah. But. Space Camp had Joaquin Phoenix. Guys, if, you, if you're not on that Space Camp game, do yourself a favor and watch the Space Camp. I really wanted to go to Space Camp as a kid. They accidentally go to Space Page in the Space Camp. Well, it's the little robot friend who's like wants to send Joaquin Phoenix to Space. We <laughs> honestly. Let's just do an episode on it. What? God damn it. I don't <laughs> no, have time for- I, I'm just joking. We can't. I don't know, man. I've never been to space. So I can't really remember that. Yeah. <laughs> I do like how space looks like an S&M dungeon, though. It's pretty great. Uh- <laughs> yeah, I feel like I feel like tiny robots have sent plenty of people to, into space, lady. What? He's implying that orgasms send people to space. Nice. Just like the R. Kelly song, Sex Planet. Nothing problematic about that. This planet is only 16 years old. At one point in that song, he just shouts, my rocket's so full of fuel. And it's so sad. And it was so terrible to people because he's so fucking unintentionally funny. Yeah. Cut to the motel. Yeah. Where George Clooney arrives carrying a bunch of bags of Big Kahuna Burger. That's that Hawaiian burger joint. I didn't realize that was Big Kahuna Burger. It's Big Kahuna Burger. No shit. Yep. Okay. Um, and he, as he's unpacking all the food, tells Quentin Tarantino that they got to get to Mexico tonight so they can rendezvous the next morning. And their contact, Carlos, will take them to El Rey, which is essentially like a cartel safe house, I would assume. Yeah. As he's unpacking, he realizes he bought a third burger and he asks, 
where's the hostage? And he opens the door to the bedroom and it kind of flashes scenes. We don't fully see yeah, what has happened to her it, until yeah. George Clooney kind of walks away from the window or from the door. But Quentin Tarantino has brutally raped and murdered her. Yeah, I'm actually super glad they didn't show any of that. And not much of the aftermath either, because when they actually do show him walking away, it's like in a wide shot and you can sort of see her body, but not really. It's not graphic. It's not played for like sexual violence or anything, which I appreciated. Yeah, it's it's more restraint than I normally expect, (laughs) given who is involved. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Wait, they're going to El Rey. Wasn't that the guy from Planet Terror? I didn't know you were L. Ray. Yeah. Yes, that is the guy in Planet Terror. <laughs> it's also the name of Robert Rodriguez's uh, TV channel is the L. Ray Network. That's because he never misses. <laughs> <laughs> so as they're having this conversation, the mobile home carrying Harvey Keitel and his two children stops at the same motel, and they don't want to stay there, but he insists. Yeah, Harvey Keitel has this whole thing about wanting to stay in a bed one last time. Yeah, but he picks so the crappiest weird. hotel. I, I know. he learns his lesson. I bet the yeah. bed in the RV was more comfortable than those beds. Yeah, but as he's driving into the parking lot, he almost hits George Clooney, who's yeah. just walking through the parking lot drinking. <laughs> you know, like you do in shady motels. Yeah. yeah. Or children's birthday parties. Or children's birthday parties. <laughs> Mikey was drunk at the last children's birthday party he was at. I thought that I mean, that's how they're bearable. So (laughs) yeah, I got yelled at for getting on the trampoline and jumping a trampoline that he helped build. Yeah, he helped build this trampoline, but does not have jumping rights. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Yep. I know you're listening, Chris. Fuck you. (laughs) I'm leaving it in. No, leave it in. No cuts. I'm ready. I'm ready to get that message out. Never forget. Welcome back to our segment, Messages to Chris in the middle of the episode. Paige, do you have anything you want to say to my best friend, Chris? Hey, Chris. (laughs) Chris, you're the best. Love you. I'm sorry Mikey hates you so much right now. I want that trampoline. I want a trampoline as well, Mikey. I understand. Same. Mm -hmm. Mikey, let's just go. We'll get you a little drunk. We'll unzip the guard. We'll just slide in, we'll jump, we'll have a good time, and then we'll lay down and talk about our lives when we look up at the stars. <laughs> you want to sneak to Chris's house at 1 a.m. and jump on his trampoline? Yeah, he didn't have a gun. We'll be fine. Yeah, you got to sleep on it and lay out under the stars and talk about which boys you like. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we can practice kissing on each other, Mikey. No, I don't want to do that. <laughs> well, apparently you're a better kisser than me, and I want I need to learn. You ask them to open their mouths as wide as they can, and then you <laughs> stick your tongue out and just like lick the backside of their teeth. Oh, man. That's how I do it, and I'm married. (laughs) Anyway, so we cut to like an hour later when Quentin Tarantino shows up at Harvey Keitel's door and asks to borrow their ice bucket, and as he turns to grab it, they essentially hold him at gunpoint. Yeah, and it's just Harvey Keitel and his son at that point. George Clooney is clearly the better of the two brothers, but he's still not a great dude because he's referring to Harvey Keitel's son, who is Chinese, we find out. He's referring to him as like a derogatory term for a Japanese person. Yes, and he they correct him and yeah. they do not care. I do, yeah. but I love that Harvey Keitel is like, he doesn't look Japanese, he looks Chinese. Right. <laughs> and then he doesn't handle that well, which I was like, oh my God, these people are horrible. I like that he murdered 10 people before this, but like this is the thing that pushed him into being a bad person. <laughs> I want to be clear. George Clooney and Quentin Tarantino's characters in this film are bad people. That's what I said. He's just the better of the two bad people. 
He's the cooler of the bad people. There you go. Well, no, I mean, he clearly has an ethical code he sticks with. Man's got to have a code. Yeah, he calls his brother on it, like, more than once and, like, defends the daughter. I can't remember her her character name, but... He does kind of chew Quentin Tarantino out for raping and murdering a person, but also that's that's a softball for someone who just raped and murdered a person. <laughs> like, typically, if somebody raped and murdered a person, it's time to either, like, shoot them, citizen's arrest, call Captain America... Like, I don't know whatever you choose to do, but it's not just lecturing yeah. them. Yeah, a verbal warning is usually for, like, your taillights out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Hey, maybe you need to get your tags renewed. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Anyway, exactly. so as they're holding up Harvey Keitel and his son, Scott, Juliet Lewis comes back from the pool, which we didn't see a pool, but apparently there must be one because she comes back wet in a swimsuit. Yeah. And they usher her in. And this is, I think, one of the places where we see Quentin Tarantino's character, Richie, have a hallucination. We absolutely do, because there's no way she really said that to him. Right. Okay. What do you guys think about this movie? Quentin Tarantino, George Clooney as the Gecko Brothers, Juliette Lewis as Audrey. Audrey from, like, Little Shop of Horrors? No, from the vac- from oh, Christmas Vacation. Oh, shit. Oh, oh god! Shit. And then, and then the other son is Rusty, and then they get dragged into this. All you have to do is replace Harvey Keitel on the son with with Chevy with Chase Chevy and Chase, the other kid yeah. from yeah. And then it's like a Ryan vacation Galecki. movie. Yes, and then, this and is then they go and they fight vampires as the vacation as National Lampoon's terrible vacation. I absolutely need a shot for shot remake of this with Chevy Chase. Absolutely. But if it had Chevy Chase, it'd be a lot more racist. <laughs> That's funny. Just saying, this is my dream movie. Honestly. This does sound amazing, but we still need Randy Quaid to empty out their uh, RV <laughs> toilet just so we can do the shitter's full or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and then drive that RV up into a UFO. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, yes. It writes itself. I got the first 30 pages right here. Yeah. It'll be National Lampoon Christmas Vacation 2. No, no, no. National Lampoon's Dust Till Dawn. <laughs> dollar sign. Yeah, every S is a dollar sign in this movie. Yeah. Uh, it has to be National Lampoon's Fiesta, and you know it. Anyway, uh. we cut to this is one of Quentin Tarantino's hallucinations, and it's Juliette Lewis, who, by the way, the actress Juliette Lewis at this time is much older than a teenager. She just looks very young, and they have dressed her very young. But I believe her character in this film is somewhere between 17 and 20, and we don't fully know. Yes. She is young. Yeah. She is played very young. Yeah. So while it was cool to crush on her when I watched this movie in high school, yeah, it is not cool to crush on her now. She had already done Natural Born Killers by the time this movie came out. Okay. Yeah. So she turns and says Richie would you eat my pussy out for me please and he just says sure (laughs) and then she turns back and the rest of the scene progresses and we're all pretty sure and it's played pretty in like a dreamlight state so that even watching it for the first time you're like oh there's no way she said that like first of all how would she know his name I do like how it's played because George Clooney says hey Go take the RV and start it up. And he says sure to what he thought Juliet Lewis said, but George Clooney assumes he was talking to him because no one was no one else was talking to him, right? Right. So then he's like, not whenever you get to it, do it now. And he like throws in the keys and then he leaves. Right. And Harvey Keitel tells them, if you want the motorhome, just take it. But what they really need is them in the motorhome to kind of smuggle them across the border. So they threaten them until they literally get everybody into the motorhome. Harvey Keitel, his two kids, Quentin Tarantino and George Clooney. 
And essentially, if they give away what's going on, they're going to kill all of them. Yeah. And so he makes kind of a deal with Harvey Keitel of like, hey, you'll all live through this and you'll be fine as long as you just get us across the border and stay with us through the night. That's all you have to do. Yeah. Then you can go on to wherever you're going and no hard feelings. Yeah. You can go pick up Rusty and have a great Mexican vacation. <laughs> Was that the kid's name? from? Yes. Okay. Good job. I like the joke. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, I appreciate your support in this humor attempt. So, and this is also where George Clooney finds out that he's a minister. And while this is all happening, in the back, Quentin Tarantino is talking to the kids. And he references that, like, hallucination to Kate, Juliet Lewis's character, where he's just like, were you serious about that? Because I'm, like, happy to do it for you. And she's just like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, <laughs> what did I say? I don't know. And then he's like, we'll talk later. And she does this shake, like, okay. Yeah, like, okay. What? Cool. Person with a cool. gun. Cool. And George Clooney gives him his retainer because he grinds his teeth. And as they're driving, Quentin Tarantino is like, staring holes through Juliette Lewis, specifically her foot, then her other foot. Yeah. It's a lot of feet. Yeah, there's a lot of feet. Yeah, because he loves them Tarantintos. So (laughs) they approach the border, and they're searching everyone at the border. And so Richie and Seth, George Clooney and Quentin Tarantino, take Juliette Lewis into the bathroom, holding her hostage, and they're hiding in the bathroom as they go to move across the border. Then we see the first of three times yes. Cheech is in this movie. Cheech is in this movie three different times. As three different characters. The first as a Border Patrol agent, and they kind of give away that they're a little nervous. They give the wrong amount of people that's with them. And so he comes aboard, and Richie is making a ton of noise because George Clooney has implied that he is crazy. But the reason they're making so much noise is not really them. It's Richie, because Richie is, like, picking the worst time ever to confront. Richie's living in his own reality. Yeah, or he's just acting like a younger brother who always wants wow. to make a point at the worst wow. times. Really, Mikey, as a younger brother, rude. We did see this at the end of the endless. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but I mean, at the end of the day, we've got to get through the border. Shut up, Richie. Yeah, that's what an older brother says. <laughs> the younger brother, like you, Todd, be like, "No, I want to argue about." Oh, they called me an awkward kisser. <laughs> Oh, my hand is shot and it hurts. Mm. You you make fun of my layers. And then like an older brother who can't use his words, George Clooney just punches his brother in the face and knocks him out. How much does it work? It works all the way. Yeah, because they do get through the border. (laughs) Yeah, they they don't find them in the search. They open the door to the bathroom and it's just Juliette Lewis sitting on the toilet. They get over into Mexico. And after they drive past the Border Patrol, George Clooney visibly relaxes, I would say. Yeah. And he's like, you guys are all in my cool book. We're just going to hang out for the night and it's going to be great. So they're going to a bar called the Titty Twister and it's out in the middle of nowhere. And he tells Richie that he just passed out and broke his glasses when he fell. And he doesn't tell him that he punched him basically until he passes out. Yeah, and he says, don't tell mom. (laughs) I would think you would remember. Would you not remember if your older brother punched you in the face and you, like, got knocked out? Depends on how long you were out. I guess that's fair. I don't really know how the memory loss component comes into play. I think it's different for everybody. It's different for everybody. He has head trauma, so it's, it's very possible he wouldn't remember. Fair enough. So they come up to the Titty Twister, which is like a Mad Max bar compound. <laughs> That's a really great way to put it. We find out at the end it's like a Mayan temple type jam. Well, we don't know that yet, but yeah. Yeah, at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will say that I, 
I did notice the bar itself kind of looks like it's built into ruins. It's yeah. these like stone buildings with kind of like petroglyphs and then they've like installed neon lights. I honestly thought it was just like a theme bar because we don't know so until the end it's like built at the top of like this, you know, thing. Yeah. So I'm not going to lie to you guys. It looks like a really cool bar. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it looked like they were having a good time there for sure. Yeah, my favorite is Cheech Marin again, uh, who's out in front selling pussy like a car dealer. Oh, man. He is, like, he is like the Bubba Gump of pussy in this scene. It's amazing. Oh, my gosh. I don't say the P word. <laughs> Wait, Mikey, you don't say the P word? Not, not, not like generally. Will you say it just once for us? No. <laughs> do you say it in in a sexual context, or do you call do. it something different? I, I save okay, it for my okay. my intimacy times. What is okay, it? Okay, okay, so like, let's just like role play that right now. So like, if you were mm-hmm. gonna say it in that sort of setting, I'm not gonna lie to you, Todd. The last person I ever wanted to role play sexually with is you. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? This is not gonna surprise you, but you're not the first person to have said that to me. <laughs> but like, what would it sound like if you said that word, Mikey? I'm not gonna say it. I'm not oh. gonna say it. I'm gonna try and get you to say it the rest of this episode. <laughs> no. There's some words that I save for when I'm like super angry or make like a really good joke. That's one of them. The C word is another one. I love the C word. I love the C word too. <laughs> I use the C word like I'm British as fuck. Me too. Anyway, at one point he says, if you can find cheaper pussy anywhere, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is super funny. It is funny, Mikey. So they go into the bar and on the way in, George Clooney, for seemingly almost no reason at all, except that he kind of swipes at, at Juliet Lewis a little bit, he breaks Cheech's hand and then punches him in the face to break his nose. They go in and then Quentin Tarantino comes back out and breaks his ribs, kicks him in the ribs and yeah. just says, hi, how you doing? Enjoying it? I hope so. And then goes back <laughs> inside. It's so bizarre. It is very bizarre. For yeah. people trying to stay low key. These are terrible criminals. But you're right, Mikey. Yeah. At this point, it has like become a different movie because up until they get to the titty twister, we very much have like two criminals and hostages right and then when they get to the titty twister it seems like they're protective over juliet lewis right like she's Mm -hmm. like their little sister or something and then george is really protective of the dad too like uh, yeah during the rv trip absolutely the dad really likes them apparently then i I don't know what happens when they go through the bar well i'll say this once you realize it's vampires it's sort of any port in a storm like who is not a vampire okay we're on you're on my team right now you know, right, I would right, I right. would argue that they start this whole dynamic before the vampires show up. I agree. That's why I think it is. It does feel like they're in two different movies. <laughs> it's like sliders. They like went through the portal and they're like, oh, this is the movie now. Oh, man. Who did thought that that fat kid from Stand By Me would grow up to be the sexy Jerry O'Connell and Slider? I loved Sliders. Sliders is so good. Until until Jerry O'Connell left. Honestly, it was like our generation's quantum leap. Yeah. So great. Guys, check out Space Camp. And sliders. And Quantum Leap, man. That show's great Quantum Leap's great. And if you've ever heard Mikey say the P word to you, I want to hear from you. So DM me on Twitter so we can have a conversation about contacts. Hey, Mikey's neighbor. (laughs) I can't wait to meet you. Oh, you mean Selma Hayek? (laughs) (laughs) You guys don't hear who lives in Condo B? It's Selma Hayek. Yeah, it's wild. <laughs> she made me suck her elbow, but I did because it's Selma Hayek. <laughs> and then I follow her around because I have her keys in my mouth. Uh, <laughs> you so... want to stick gum? <laughs> I can't wait till we get a review and the accent they want you to read it in as 
Selma Hayek's mouth purse. (laughs) (laughs) Aaron Burr. I'm pretty sure that made the episode, didn't it? I think I think it did. Yeah, yeah. that was in the uh, that's romance in the pod though. Damn it! Oh man, guys, don't sleep on romance in the pod. You're missing some great shit. So they're in the bar, uh, and it does from the inside really look like it's built into ancient ruins, and there are boobs everywhere. There's so many boobs. It's all the boobs. And George Clooney sounds like I did when we first started this podcast, and he's like, "Yeah, this is my type of place." Yep. Until they encounter young Danny Trejo behind the bar, who's like, by the way, this is just for truckers and bikers, so get out. And the only reason he lets them stay is because Harvey Keitel has a trucker's license because he drives the RV. And they order drinks, but they've been dicks to him already. He is all He's looking for a reason to, to kick him out. I honestly, I thought that that was the dumbest rationale I've ever heard in my life. Agreed. But also, do you guys want to hear what makes me so mad about this movie the most? Tell me. That we didn't find out how good those carnitas are because they yes! look amazing. Yes, right? <laughs> yes, when he was like, send a waitress over, I want to order food. They never got food. They were there for hours. They were there for hours, and they ask him, they're like, is the food here good? And he's like, it's the best in Mexico. And they're like, I doubt it. But I don't know if you know, Danny Trejo has a chain of taco restaurants in Los Angeles where we can try carnitas. And when you guys are here, we should do it. Oh, yes. absolutely. It's not going to be as good as your average taco, taco truck. I'm just preparing you. But listen, if Danny Trejo's involved, I want a piece of it. I just wanted them to have food at the table at some point during the movie. That's all I wanted. I mean, yeah. Quentin Tarantino does eat some toes. So, oh, but not toe nachos. <laughs> I, want, I wanted carnitas. Yeah, carnitas <laughs> sound amazing, actually. Honestly, when we go to L.A., Mikey, you got to try. Um, what did you guys have me eat when I, we went to that Mexican place? Oh, we just corner? went to an Alberto's. No, no, no. It was what we had. It was um, carne asada nachos. Carne asada nachos, man. You got to have those, dude. They're so good. We don't really get like that kind of Mexican food out here. I've had carne asada fries the last two nights. That's how my world is going. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so you said it was young Danny Trejo in this movie. He was 52 when they filmed this. No shit. He's 52 in this movie? He was born in 1944. He looks fucking great. Danny Trejo was born during World War II. He looks amazing in this movie. When was he born? He was born in 1944. Good night. I'm not saying that to like be like, oh, no, he was an old he's man. Not 52 in this movie, then. Yeah, this movie came out in 96, 44 to 96. But I'm not saying he looks old. I'm saying he looks amazing for 52. Damn, he was. He was 52. He's 76 years old now. That dude was 52. Like, look at him. I mean, that's it's crazy to think that. So he's two years older than Tom Savini in this movie, and he looks 20 years younger than him. Oh, he does. Yeah, Tom Savini looks like the way you would expect Tom Savini to look at that age, right? When I saw, when I looked at this, in my mind, I was like, this is 37-year-old Danny Trejo. Yeah. That's what it looks like. Yeah. And then Fred Williamson was 58 when he did this. So, like, there's only six years between them, but Danny Trejo looks 20 years younger than him, too. That's wild. He is a vampire. Yeah, he is. Machete don't play. No. And if you go to his IMDb page right now, he has like 90 things in production. The That's dude because he'll do anything. Works. I know. I love that about him. He works, man. I love I love Danny Trejo. He saved a baby in our neighborhood. No shit. Honestly, I'm going to start calling him America's sweetheart. I love him so yes. much. He is America's sweetheart, Danny Trejo. Yes. I'm down with that. Make him Captain America. Oh. Oh, my God. Machete is Captain America? <laughs> anyway. So they toss a guy out of a chair to take over a table, and they escort the dancer who's on that table off the table. To find the rest of her clothes. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Uh, we cut to the table next to them 
where Tom Savini has a whip and whips a beer out of a guy's hand. And when the guy tries to take it back, Tom Savini shows him his metal dick gun reveals that he has a gun dick and it's a 12 shooter. (laughs) It's the first time we see Robert Rodriguez turn a body part into a gun. And then you find out later on that he's not shooting blanks. <laughs> My favorite is when we find out his name later on and they yeah. wait. Oh, they yeah. Wait. It's not till way later in the movie. But then you have to think you're just like, oh, my God, that. Oh, geez. OK. I mean, his name is Sex Machine. Yeah, his name is Sex Machine. And that's the machine. <laughs> I am the machine. But like, that's the way he's built. Like his name in the credits is Sex Machine. That, yeah. This is exactly what would happen if the Terminator skinned off his dick instead of his arm. <laughs> I always assumed the Terminator was like a Ken doll down there. Not me, bro. Honestly, <laughs> Paige, you're the Terminator stand more than me. Yeah. So, like, do you think Terminator has a dick? Like, is he packing dick heat? No, he does. He does. He because- does, because... Arnold's naked, and we we saw his balls. Yeah. Oh also, shit. Yeah. The, okay. That one that came out, Jen, the one with Arnold Schwarzenegger, came back older. He's like straight up fucking a lady for thirty years. He has a family or whatever. Remember? I'm sorry. He has a family. He lives with a woman and an adopted kid. Oh, adopted. Okay. 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 And then because I I can get on board that he has a dick that works, but oh, not... I didn't see the most recent one. Oh, it's so good, Paige. But yeah, he straight okay. up is please has been pleasing a woman for decades. As a Terminator. I mean, listen, robots have been pleasing women for a long, 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 long time. I'm on board for that, but there's no way he actually got her pregnant. So adopted kid, I'm on board no, for. No, it was That's adopted. Fine. It was adopted kid. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, I do, I would not be surprised if like his junk doubles as a gun. Right? Well, yeah. All I'm saying is that Tom Savini's a genius and way ahead of his time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we knew that. Yeah. And I know what I'm going for Halloween this year. <laughs> sex machine. It's been a long time since this movie came out. You've- so I'm gonna go with Sex Machine, Mikey. What James Brown song are you gonna go to for Halloween as? <laughs> oh god, musical joke now. Why? Why did you do this? I'm gonna go with Selma Hayek's toe. Oh yeah, put it in Quentin Tarantino's mouth. I don't know who I would go as. No, I'm going as Danny Trejo. Yeah, you could pull that <laughs> off for sure. I'm gonna get a I'm gonna get a bunch of of temporary tattoos and a leather vest and make shit happen. I think honestly, Mikey, you should go as George Clooney. You could just do the like the tats, yeah, like the fake yeah, tats. Yeah. You you already sort of have the Caesar hair. Like if you combed your hair forward and it just laid down flat, it would sort of look mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think I'm just gonna go as the the human guitar. Let's later. On. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I also wait. We gotta wait till we get to. Yeah, that, we do. I have so many things to say about the band. <laughs> Uh, so Tom Savini has a gun dick. Quentin Tarantino offers to buy Scott a lap dance and they're buying shots for everyone. This is where we find out that Kate and Scott are not 21 yet, or at least Kate is not 21. Um, but I would assume both of them aren't, but they still end up taking shots and George Clooney's getting more and more agitated. And it's honestly just because Danny Trejo, like slighted him yeah put him in a bad mood yeah yeah i mean he's like banging his shot glass on the table like a baby it's almost like sociopaths don't have really good emotional regulation yeah no i mean you're right but this is the insight i'm looking for from our mental health professional that we have on the podcast well that was it for this episode (laughs) join us next week where i make one sentence about everything i do for a living join me later in the episode when his brother dies and i'll be like you know when someone's brother dies they're probably sad (laughs) <laughs> anyway, this is the conversation where Harvey Keitel is like, are you so much of a loser that you can't tell when you've won? Like, yeah. you escaped the FBI, you escaped the police, you escaped everything, and they couldn't find you. So just enjoy the fact that you got away. 
and he's still upset. But the thing that makes him less upset is Satanico Pendemonio, <laughs> which is Salma Hayek yeah. coming to the stage where she lights flames and then she's dancing with a snake pre Britney Spears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you think Britney Spears stole it from this movie? Definitely. This was iconic. Yeah. And it honestly is like the same color snake and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she walks across to their table, uh, kind of like centers on Richie, picks up the bottle, pours it down her leg so he can drink slash suck it off her toes. So gross. The way this happens is pretty much how I eat chicken wings. <laughs> <laughs> They walk up to you on a table stripping with a snake around them, and then they pour barbecue spare rib hot sauce down their legs <laughs> into your open mouth. Let you got you got nice legs dripping in sauce, and I just go. I okay, I do know, and this story may have happened on a podcast, so forgive me, but I do know Mikey's mother has said to him, if a woman ever doesn't throw up while they're watching you eat hot wings, you have to marry them. Now that she said, that's how you know they really like you. That's it, yeah. Is if they stay with you after they watch you eat hot wings. And this is nothing, I I have not seen Mikey eat hot wings, but God, I want to watch it. (laughs) I mean, it's something I enjoy to do in the privacy of my own home. Mikey, I want you to come over, we'll do it for Patreon. We'll just like, you and I will do like an episode of Hot Wings, just... I'll order Wingstop and we could do it over Zoom. Oh, I love it, Oh my God, Wingstop has special flavors right now. I love dude the Louisiana rub flavor. Yes, yes, Paige. It's so good. It's so good. I'm sorry. I would do that. Let's postmates us some Wingstop, and we'll all eat and critique Mikey eating (laughs) chicken wings. And then it'll just be like if you join the Patreon and you you want to, ladies, Mikey single, you watch that first. And oh yeah, it's like it's like a buried entry. Yeah. Yeah, you should put a link to it on all of your social media. <laughs> Just your Tinder profile is everything you need to know is in this video. <laughs> I think you mean I think you mean my chicken Tinder profile. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, yes. And honestly, that app just matches you to local tenders in your area. <laughs> so are you feeling lemon pepper? Are you feeling honey chicken ranch? Like, what are you feeling? I've what what been, chicken tenders are you going to swipe right on tonight? There was an app where I swiped right to find wings. There is. It's Postmates. <laughs> but more of like a swiping. I don't know. I love this idea, too. We, like, how does this wing look? How does this wing look? Left, left. Oh, Oh, move to town without knowing anybody? Left. <laughs> Paige, you wrote my dating profile. I did. How's it going? Well, obviously great. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's get back to this movie. Yeah, let's do it. So she drains the bottle and spits it into Quentin Tarantino's mouth and then walks backwards and finishes her dance. And she kind of shakes like a snake rattle at one point. Yeah, she shakes a lot in this scene specifically, which I'll say she's a beautiful woman. It goes on way too long. Like this scene exists to get Quentin Tarantino off. And that's it. I don't know. I think this scene exists so you can watch how George Clooney's acting behind the scene because he's in frame the he whole time. Is, and he's doing it, man. I loved it. And it's great. It is great. <laughs> you can tell he's like a good guy because he's trying not to stare at her ass like the whole scene. But also in the scene, he's supposed to be staring at her ass. So he's like, it's a weird acting choice he makes. It is a weird acting choice. But I like it. I'm here for it. 
He's great. Yeah, he's great. So as she's dancing, the bouncer, Danny Trejo, and Cheech Marin from outside are kind of like congregating behind their table. And she sees that they're coming for him, so she kind of backs out of the way. And the bouncer stabs Quentin Tarantino's hand through the gunshot. Yeah, which I, I feel like they missed a joke that they could have made there where he just like, ah, oh, thank God. And just pulls it up. Yeah, like it doesn't hurt him because it went through the bullet hole. That shit would have been hilarious. That would have been hilarious. Uh, They end up shooting the bouncer. Quentin Tarantino stabs Danny Trejo and then stabs the knife back into the table. Yeah. And Cheech Marin tries to get everybody to be cool, but he kind of laughs at them, so they shoot him. Then they turn back to the table where they see the dagger that stabbed Danny Trejo is now covered in green blood. And Salma Hayek, smelling Richie's blood, transforms into a vampire and bites him in the neck. He shoots her off of him, but Richie is fully going to die. And as he's dying, Danny Trejo and everyone else is back up and vamped out. Oh, yeah. Like 80s vamped out. Like very, very run-of-the-mill, not great special effects makeup vamped out. I would yes. say that their transformation scenes are the, the weakest scenes of the movie. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, Tom Savini uses his gun dick. Gun dick! Gun dick! Shooting vampires from a little bit away. What's the uh, the, the large trucker's name, the Vietnam vet? Uh, the Vietnam vet is Frost, is his character Frost. name. Okay. Yeah. The actor uh, who plays Frost is Fred Williamson, uh, who was in the original Inglorious Bastards, but is probably most famous for being in like every important black exploitation cult film, including Boss N Word. I was gonna like, say the, the only one I know because it's Boss N Word. Yeah, you can't say it. Yeah, can't say it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's great in this. He's hilarious in this. <laughs> Um, and I think that's why they cast him, too. That's also why they cast Tom Savini. Mm-hmm. And there's another guy, I'll go over it in Fun Facts, that they cast who was uh, like a grindhouse dude as well. Yeah. But this whole part of the movie, especially because of the special effects, like makeup and stuff, it feels very, very grindhouse to me. Oh, very yeah. Much Which so. I was fine the, with. The humor and all of this stuff. Yeah. I mean, like, it's so ridiculous. Yeah, it is. Well, this is also where, so as they're running through, all of the dancers are now turning into vampires, and the band is now vampires, and they're playing a corpse guitar, like a dead dude as a guitar. Don't know where they got it. Not that many people have been killed yet, but they've got one. Oh, and not enough time has passed to turn a dead body into a musical instrument. like Yeah, it's something they, they just keep in the back. Well, you did not see the, the vampire roadie come out and switch guitars with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I missed that. That's on me, though. Sorry about that. So uh, George Clooney has kind of kept a lot of the vampires at bay, but Harvey and his kids are hiding behind the bar. And as Cheech Marin kind of pops over the bar... To get a one-liner in about, I suck, Scott hits him, and then Kate burns him with her cross, which kills him. Yeah. As that's happening, Frost, like, shish kebabs four of the dancers on the legs of a table. Yeah. So cool. Yes. It's so great. Frost is my favorite, man. Frost is great. He is pretty great. I do love that after he throws all four of those ladies down on each leg of the table, he's like, go me yourself. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I get that joke. That's really funny. <laughs> I, I love when Mikey like doesn't laugh, and he's like, "Oh shit, that's a good joke." 
Yeah. We, I had to like I had to like logically dissect the joke to be like, yeah, yeah, that's good. We then get Tom Savini <laughs> doing what I can only describe as like karate with a pool cue. Yes. And he ends up with a pile of dead ladies. And then he has to fight Danny Trejo where he uses his whip to pull him forward by the neck and then stakes him. Meanwhile, Salma Hayek has pinned George Clooney and she's basically like, I'm not going to drain you completely. You'll be my slave. You'll feed on the blood of stray dogs. And she's got her foot on his chest. Yes. Like it's another foot feet. Anyway. It's another foot feet. A foot feet. (laughs) A foot feet. I got it. (laughs) You guys are on fire. (laughs) When there were no more foot feet, that was when I carried you. (laughs) But he shoots the chandelier above her. It crashes down on her, staking her. I do and love killing it. her. He shoots that when she is on top of him. It should have killed him too. Yes, it Absolutely. should have landed on both of them. But then it just lands on her, and then you see him stand up, and you're like, "Well, how the fuck did that happen?" Right. But you're also like, "I mean, it's vampires. I'm here for this. It's fine." It's vampires. <laughs> Meanwhile, he gets up, and a lot of the dancers are dead. Most of the vampires they knew were there are dead. But Biggin, the bouncer, is still left. Yeah. And he's snapping necks left and right. And so Frost rips out his heart. They (laughs) hit him with sticks until Tom Savini stabs the heart with a pencil and he's dead. They have about four dancers left who were the ones that were, like, not the front of the house dancers, <laughs> it implies. <laughs> and they end up quickly killing them. The kids are safe. And at this point, they ask, they're like, are they supposed to burn or something? And then they all at once burn, <laughs> which is very funny. Which I didn't remember that at all. And I was like, <laughs> I never remembered the movie as silly, like, with the humor as it was, until I rewatched it this time. It is pretty silly, especially at this part. Yeah, the very next scene is probably the silliest, and it made me laugh really hard because the band is still there with their corpse guitar, <laughs> yeah. and they're like, now let's kill that fucking band, and the band just leans into the mic and is like, fuck you, everybody, good night, and then they explode. Yeah. <laughs> Never to be seen again. No one stakes them. Don't know how it happened. They're the only vampires to survive. Yeah, potentially. They live to play another gig. Yeah. Wait, when does Quentin Tarantino die? Did we talk about that? He's already dead, yeah. Oh, we already talked about that? Yeah, she bit him in the neck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he dies first. Yeah. Well, and they find his body in the pile. Oh, and then everybody, all the patrons are dead except for Sex Machine Frost and our right. separate heroes who now like each other. Right. Yeah, that's our crew right now. Yeah. Right. And George Clooney's like apologizing to his dead body, but Quentin Tarantino's not quite dead yet. He's definitely a vampire. Yes. And Tom Savini's going to stake him, and George Clooney threatens to shoot him, and everyone's like, yo, he's not your brother anymore. And he, for a moment, becomes a slightly less scary Quentin Tarantino vampire, uh, but then goes full vampire. And so George Clooney stakes him basically saying, here's the piece in death that I couldn't give you in life. I do think it's hilarious that when Quentin Tarantino stands up and reveals that he looks on the outside the way he is on the inside, you know, just straight up monster, that at first George Clooney is like, no, fuck you. He's my brother. I love him. You can't kill him. And then they're like, no, dog, he's dead. And he's like, oh, yeah, good point. Let's kill this motherfucker. Like (laughs) he turns on a dime. I love that. I was like, okay, cool. Nice. All right. That, that makes more sense, I think. In a, in a situation yeah. like that, if you try to put yourself in those, you'd be like, I don't want to kill my brother. Yeah. And then like, yeah, okay. I mean, like, yeah, you, you have to like process it a second. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. I would probably be like, hey, I don't want to kill my brother. Why don't you guys kill my brother? You know? Because he's not really your brother at that point. He's like a, he's a also, vampire. Um, as a mental health professional, I want to say when you have to kill your brother, it's really sad. 
<laughs> my favorite is this very next scene where Kate is like, hey, Seth, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, the world is my oyster, except that I just rammed a wooden stake into my brother's chest because he turned into a vampire, and I don't even believe in vampires. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He says, I don't even believe in vampires, like, nine times in 30 minutes of this movie. Yep. And as he's kind of giving this speech of, like, this is fucked up, uh, we hear this, like, flapping noise outside. <laughs> I think it's Frost that says, that sounds like birds. And then he goes, they ain't birds. They bats. Bats. And this is also because they're kind of trying to, like, plug holes in the building to make sure the bats don't get in. Yeah. This is where I first noticed that there were a ton of jackal decorations around. I didn't notice that. really interesting. Yeah. And... A half-chewed-up guy crawls towards Kate and tries to grab her. He gets, like, on top of her. Oh, yeah. And uh, Tom Savini pulls him off and kills him and introduces himself to Kate as Sex Machine. (laughs) (laughs) And they basically realize that people are going to... The patrons are all going to start coming back. People who weren't staked but who were killed by vampires are now coming back as vampires. So they just go around staking all the dead bodies and they kind of like come back for a second and then they're dead. Yeah. We do get a, a tiny shot where we see that they're plugging holes in the building with pieces of corpses. Yeah. You see like two legs or like a leg and an arm sticking out of the door. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Uh, but then they all kind of convene in the middle of the room to be like, okay, what do we know about vampires? Crosses. We can make crosses out of anything. Wooden stakes have been working. Is silver? That's werewolves. Does any have anybody have any silver? No. Then who then why cares? Are we why are we talking about it? Yeah. I thought that was really funny. Who cares? Did we talk about Tom Savini getting bit? Not yet. He he hasn't been bit oh, yet. Shit, got a, I thought he got bit before. No, you're right. It's when they're talking when Frost is like talking. Sorry, yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry, sorry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tom Savini tells them, he's like, they've got soft bodies. You can push stuff right through them. You could even take their head off pretty easily. Yeah, which is a little, you know, decapitation shadowing for Tom Savini. Yep. Yeah. Uh, this is also where George Clooney is like, but also we have a preacher and that's going to be the most valuable because now tap water could be holy water. We can make crosses. You can bless things, whatever. But I need you to find your faith because a faithless, pre- faithless preacher doesn't help us. And he justifies this by saying, like, if there's a hell, they're from it. Then that means there's got to be a heaven. Yeah. And so he does kind of, like, turn Harvey Keitel around a little bit. Well, I mean, Harvey Keitel was never a non-believer. He was just right. mad at God. He was just mad at God. Which is two different things, yeah. Um, but this is where Frost starts to make his speech about being in Nam in 72. Yeah, this is his uh, his Phoebe Cates moment of the movie. <laughs> this is Phoebe Cates moment. This is also, yes, they do this is. in Black Dynamite, and... Where he's like every once in a while is just like, I just remember we blew up that whole village and here's this this crazy rambling story and then we come back like why black dynamite why it's watch black dynamite it's great I love black dynamite <laughs> um, oh but Tom Savini got bit before this part. No, he didn't. No, because it's in the middle. Oh no, he didn't. No, he got bit before this part because he got got bit at the pool because during Frost monologue he is like looking at uh, the sun. And he's, like, trying to hide his transformation happening, which I thought was really, like, slapstick silly. It's literally right after he introduces himself to Kate, a sex machine. Yeah. Is it the guy who dies in the pool table where the eyeballs go into the corner pockets and make the Yes. 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 That's so great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It is that guy. But either way, either way, sex machine has been bitten, and now he's starting to to transform as Frost has everyone else's attention, giving his soliloquy about Nam. Yeah, and Tom Savini's hearing, like, a snake language. He's hearing parcel tongue. Yeah. He grows fangs, then he has a one monster claw, then another monster claw. 
And then Scott looks over and realizes what's happening. I didn't think Scott realized it because Tom, I don't think like, he, does. he puts his hands behind his back and he's like, yeah, like Frost right. talking about some crazy shit over here. Like, he's like trying <laughs> to like hide it and doing a bad job at it. It's so funny. And then as Frost is talking, you see like the, the monster hands like climb up like cousin it over his shoulders. And yes, it's so and Tom silly. Savini bites him. Yeah, it's amazing. And then bites Harvey Keitel. Yeah. So it's a, it's a twofer. Yeah. And he ends up tossing. <laughs> George Clooney and uh, Juliet Lewis across the room. Yes. <laughs> Frost screams, he fucking bit me. And then Tom Savini's just, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> it's so crazy. It's ridiculous. Although it is the dialogue that was missing from True Blood for me. Oh, I, I love Don't bring that up around Paige. You, don't, you know not to do that. But it could have used a little more slapstick. I know. Copy. That would have been awesome. Oh, you bit me. Yeah. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about Who it? Who are you going to trust? Who are you trust? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I knew you were going to go there. That's so funny. That's really funny. <sighs> so he throws Tom Savini through a window, which lets in tons of bats. Yes. So they run into the hallways behind the bar and hide in a storeroom. And as they do, he... Frost is now fully turned, directing the bats. Yes. So they get to a storeroom. And Harvey Keitel is, like, behind the bar because he got thrown over yeah, there. Yeah, we don't know that yet. We just know he's been bit. Well, we see him get thrown behind the bar because we see him hit, like, the glass bottles and shit yeah. and right. fall down. Right, we just don't know that he's alive or not. Right, I assumed he was going to turn really quickly because... Me too, because Frost turns so fast. So Kate in the storeroom was like, we got to go back for him. And George Clooney's like, oh, he's dead. Oh, yeah, baby, he's um, dead. He's dead, except that he bandages his wounds behind the bar. He is alive. He finds a bat and a shotgun under the bar, and he uses them to make a cross that he then also fires at people, which is great. It is really cool. And he makes his way down the hallway into the storeroom and reveals, he gets inside, but reveals that he's bit and decides that for the last, you know, minutes that he's alive, He's going to go fight with them to try and take out as many vampires as possible. Yeah. And so they go through the storeroom to find weapons. They find super soakers, which is pretty great. They find what I think was a jackhammer that he turns into like a giant stake that, <laughs> that like pumps back and forth. Uh, she finds a coffin with a crossbow, crossbow in it. And then they fill condoms with holy water. And then they cut crosses into their bullets. Yeah. So that yeah. a cross like hits people. I thought that everyone had cool weapons except for the daughter. I was like, she's got like six shots and then she's dead. Like, what except are we doing? Except that she fires conservatively twenty shots. Oh yeah, she and never reloads. Yeah, I, I thought she, I thought George Clooney's weapon was the lamest and least practical. No, I I thought it was tough because he would have had to get close quarters. Yeah, yeah. But I thought it was it, it's the Gatling gun of this movie. It is. <laughs> it is the most over the top ridiculous weapon. Yeah, it basically looks like a giant steak dick. Yeah. Have you ever had a good steak dick? No. Medium rare? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying I'm not saying the P word. Anyway, he makes his kids promise that they'll kill him if he turns. And he makes George Clooney promise. Yeah. And the kids reluctantly agree, but it's clear that they're not super on board with it. So they bust through. They force the vampires back down the hall into the main room and Tom Savini tries to get George Clooney, but now George Clooney's got the whip and he gets Tom Savini around the neck and rips his head off. And then Kate (laughs) shoots his head. Which I thought was great. It was a very cool effect because she stops it like a soccer star. Like she's about to bend it like Beckham, but she just shoots (laughs) an arrow into his eye. But apparently that just turns Tom Savini into the rat king. Yeah, it's the king because he turns into a weird rat dog creature. Yeah. 
which Kate shoots a couple times until it explodes into fire and then just explodes. Yeah, which was so weird, but I'm here for it. I thought he was becoming a werewolf. I was like, oh, are we going full on lichen right now? Like, what's happening? I Yeah, I don't know. I was like, was he part rat to begin with, and that's why this happened? I don't know. I mean, yeah, sort of. If you look at Tom Savini real close, sort of, yeah. Yeah, we cut to Harvey Keitel, who stabs Frost with the gun and then uses it to fire at other vampires, and if you look really close as this is happening, because vampire extras are everywhere, they shoot over Harvey Keitel's shoulder, and there's two vampire extras who clearly didn't think they were in the shot. Oh, no. And they're just like slow pretend kicking a body but they're doing it in slow motion in real life (laughs) and because the scene the foreground is moving at regular time you can tell that this wasn't in slow motion they're just like pretending to beat someone up it's very funny that is awesome i missed that completely but that is amazing so they back off from harvey keitel like all of the vampires he was shooting back away from him because he's turned and he bites Scott. Scott manages yeah, to- Yeah, because Scott s- can't kill him. Because Scott can't kill him. Yeah. He hesitates. And Scott smashes a balloon over his head. But then Scott gets devoured. Kate finally mercifully kills him, which then kills like somehow all of the, the vampires yeah, drinking up. his yeah, blood. Yeah, he explodes for no reason. Yeah. 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 Well, I think it's a cross bullet, which maybe made all of his blood holy. I don't know. Why am I trying yeah, to like, <laughs> I mean, I appreciate the level of dedication you have to trying to figure this out, but that is not needed right now. <laughs> nope. Who kills the dad? Is it the daughter that kills the dad too? No, it's the son. No, son, Scott does kill him, but he hesitates. And that's yeah, well, he, he smashes the condom against his face and he becomes like a half skull. I thought, yeah. so, I thought someone shot him at that point or something he does shoot him and drops the gun as he gets bit yeah oh scott mm-hmm. shoots him okay cool, cool 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 uh so now it's down to literally just george clooney and kate and they realize that the sun is coming up and as light starts to come through the bullet holes around the bar they're shying away from the light so they start shooting more holes into the building i thought this part was ridiculous though because the sun would be rising and only hitting one side of the building and when he's right. like shoot in more light she shoots like different walls <laughs> that are on, like yes. opposite sides like one of those walls would help. The rest would not at all. Yep. Uh, and they hear Carlos outside, and they tell him to break the door down to let light in from outside. Yeah. He does. The vampires explode. And we find out that Carlos is also played by Cheech Marin. <laughs> yeah. The light from outside hits the disco ball, and every vampire explodes. They come outside. Carlos is like, what the fuck was going on in there? And George Clooney just punches him and was like why did you want us to meet here and he's like eh, one place is good as another i've never been here before and so he just like picked a random place he's like i've driven past it a few times it seemed like a fun place yeah <laughs> and from the outside i get that yeah were they psychos or and he's like no vampires and now a bunch of people are dead he's like do psychos explode from when they touch the sun <laughs> yeah <laughs> so they negotiate a lower rate for him to go to el rey He gives Kate some of the money. And also, I don't know if you know this, but like George Clooney made a lot more money than he initially thought he was going to because his brother died. Yeah, because he didn't (laughs) have to share it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. right. Yeah, which so he gives a ton of it to Kate and she's like, so what do I do? And he's just like, go home. And she's like, do you need company? And he's like, do you know what El Rey is? Go home. I'm not a fucking bastard, which for me implies that it's like a, a cartel compound probably. 
And he's like, for your own safety, go home. Well, yeah. he said, he said, I'm a fucking asshole. I'm not that much of a fucking asshole. Yeah. yeah. So you'll say the words fucking asshole, but not pussy. <laughs> yes. You're fucking asshole, and then your regular day to day asshole. I, I thought it was more like maybe like a cartel town where yeah. like yeah, that like could retire be or or it's like if you go with me, it's like a relationshipy thing, and he's like, yeah. I can't. I'm not. I'm out. Yeah, I honestly felt that way too. I felt like she was like. I mean, I'm super into you. You're George Clooney. Do you want to, like, do this? And he's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm good. Thanks. I'm going to a beach cartel town for retirement. Good night. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you need to go back to high school. Yeah. She walks back to the motorhome and drives it away. And as the camera pulls back, we see the back of the bar where it is a giant pyramid with a canyon full of missing trucks and truckers. And, and that's, that's the, movie. the movie. All right. So having seen the movie, having talked about the movie, what did you guys think about From Dust Till Dawn? It's a lot of fun. It is. Always has been. Yeah. It's so fun. I love that scene at the end where it pulls out and it's the, the pyramid and the, the crash mm-hmm. trucks. I remember watching that scene. It may have been middle school. Or I, I was young when I watched this movie. And I was like, this was so cool. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was great. I mean, it was a nice change of pace from the super scary movies we watched last month. So I really appreciate that. Hopefully this trend continues throughout the rest of this month. What is the theme for this month? Uh, It's Cinco de Scary. No, Scary de Mayo. The scary de Mayo. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. So it's all movies that take place in Mexico. Paige and I had like a weird like 2 a.m. conversation that you read the next day where we're like, Hey, how about themes? Let's do it like this. And then we like came to Cinco to Scary. I love it. Yeah, scary, scary to Mayo. Scary to Mayo. I love it. Well, cool. Okay, well, awesome. Well, we'll find out what we're watching next week later. But it's movies set in Mexico. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I get it. I get the theme. I, yeah. But I, I really like this one. I, I imagine next time we're going to do Once Upon a Time in Mexico or something like that. So I'm on board for it. Yeah, let's do no, it. And to clarify, it's movies set in Mexico or by Mexican directors. Oh, okay. I think this is a great cult film. I think it, if you want to watch something that you can just like relax to, like this is that kind of movie. It does seem like once you've seen it once, you can sort of just leave it on in the background and be like, ha, mm-hmm. I love this part. It's like that right, kind of movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I'm into. I think that's great there are a lot of movies that try to do that and don't do it well and i feel like this movie does it well i really like robert rodriguez's directing style i don't love everything he's done but i feel like he's good at what he does and this is a good example of that dude makes fun movies man yeah and i admire the hell out of his drive man yeah yeah uh all right so Paige, do you have some fun facts for us i have so many fun facts let's do this you've been teasing these so much. I'm going to save the big one for, for last because it encompasses like a number of fun facts. Okay. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Do we want to do the song? Hit us with your fun facts. Ba-na, ba-na. So the sheriff that dies, the Texas Ranger that dies in the beginning of the movie, Earl McGraw, played by Michael Parks, is actually a character that appears in multiple Tarantino and Rodriguez films. He is in Kill Bill Volume 1. He's the one that discovers the massacre, the wedding massacre. And in Robert Rodriguez, Planet Terror, he's the dad of the one who has the injections that, like, can throw needles. It's her dad, but Mm. it's the same character, which throws some questions as to, like, the timeline of all these movies that this one specifically, allegedly the same character appears in all of them. Interesting. Um, as I mentioned, they do have big kahuna burgers yeah. in, the, in the movie. That's very cool. Uh, but also, uh, Chongo Beer in the bar, which is from Desperado by Robert Rodriguez. Yeah, so they okay. they got ah. one of their brands. I didn't see any red apple cigarettes. I was looking for them. Didn't see them. This has a number of people who would then go on to be in other projects. So Harvey Keitel has been in both Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. Yeah. 
and he's uh, has an uncredited voice cameo in Inglorious Bastards. And then Danny Trejo has been in nine movies directed by Robert Rodriguez, and Cheech wow. Marin has been in seven. Wow, okay. This is George Clooney's first film role. Tarantino pitched it to Clooney while he was directing him on ER. And oh, so this is one of the first projects he got really? involved in. Other things would end up being released because this movie is in development for a long time, as I'll talk about in a bit. Uh, but this was the first film he signed on to do. And Juliette Lewis was cast because of Natural Born Killers. If you don't know, Natural Born Killers was written by Quentin Tarantino. And then it would eventually be heavily revised. Uh, he ultimately receives a story by credit. There's been a lot of contention about it uh, as to who actually wrote what and Oliver Stone and Tarantino, I guess, are not super friends from it. I mean, it's enough that he ends up casting Juliette Lewis a couple other times because he really liked her in Natural Born Killers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he seemed to have eventually liked the end product, even though there was some contention around who wrote what. Sure. There is an homage to Robert Rodriguez's favorite director. If you'll notice, Scott is wearing a Precinct 13 shirt. Yeah. And it's a nod mm -hmm. to Assault on Precinct 13 John Carpenter's second film. So that's specifically a nod to him. Uh, so in addition to Tom Savini and Fred Williamson, Tom Saxon, who plays one of the FBI agents, is an actor that appeared in Enter the Dragon and a couple other films. So he's the third cult classic grindhouse guy that ends up in this movie. Now, in the scene where they come back out with the gun and... Harvey Keitel is kind of muttering like a sermon as they do it. It was supposed to be the Ezekiel 2517 speech from Pulp Fiction. Really? And that was originally in the script from really? in the script for From Dust Till Dawn, but they ended up changing it because I'll explain a little bit, but Pulp Fiction actually goes into production as this movie is still in development hell. So Wow. Okay. Yeah, this movie originally would have had an NC-17 rating, and they got around it by making the vampire blood green. Really? They would oh. have got an NC-17 for blood and not the boobs? Yeah. Uh, wow, and okay, cool, whatever. They did the same thing for Evil Dead 2, and there's a reason that they knew to do it, and that's where I will get into it. Nice, let's get into it. Okay, if we want to talk about how this movie came to be, we have to talk about KNB Special Effects Group. They're an American special effects company that specializes in prosthetic makeup, animatronics, and practical effects, and they were founded in 1988 by Robert Kurtzman, Greg Nicotero, and Howard Berger. Now, if you notice, the story by credit in this movie goes to Robert Kurtzman. Now, I'll explain why in a bit, because it is going to be important. So, Kurtzman, Nicotero, and Berger were all working freelance on a lot of Hollywood movies around the same time, and they kept getting hired together. And they were all mentoring under Tom Savini, who was making George Romero's Day of the Dead. And so since they started working together, they kind of formed a little bit of an alliance and they all ended up working together on the same movie, Evil Dead 2. Oh. After making Evil Dead 2, they decided to form a company where they would all work together. But they were finding a hard time really kind of making a name for themselves and getting into projects that would support that company. Sure. Especially when there were other big players in the industry. But they do end up doing the effects for Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, and Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers. And they finally get a pretty decent break when they get to do the animatronic buffalo for Dances with Wolves. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, I remember that shot. That's a it's an important shot in that movie. It is very important. I just yeah. that's such a weird jump from like the fifth sequel in horror movies to the Buffalo and Dances with Wolves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a wild jump. Now, here's the other thing, they were having to kind of like pitch themselves for these projects. So they contacted Rob Reiner when they heard he was adapting Misery. And Rob Reiner originally declined their offer because he wanted to try and tone down the gore. But the special effects that they had weren't really working out. So they had to bring in this company, K&B, to do the ankles. No shit. So they did the ankle scene in Misery? Yes. Oh, that scene is so iconic, too, because like, oh. It's still, I can still see it. Yeah, oh, I don't man. like that. Yep. I don't like That's it. That's rough. Oh, God. So good, though. Like, it's very effective. Yep. And so with that and Dances with Wolves and a bunch of other stuff under their belt, they started to pick up some other projects, but still nothing huge. They do get City Slickers, where they make animatronic cows. Uh, and then Sam Raimi calls them again to do Army of Darkness, the sequel to Evil Dead 2. And that's where they, they they also did Dr. Giggles. I don't know if you care. We did Dr. Giggles. That's We did it very early on. But it was not well received as a movie, but people thought the effects were really great. Cut to <laughs> the early 1990s. Quentin Tarantino is a young screenwriter who's just sold two scripts and is just about to make his directorial debut. If you don't know, he sold the scripts for Natural Born Killers and my brain wants to say true lies and it's true romance. That's what it is. Uh, So he sells Natural Born Killers to Oliver Stone. He sells true romance to Tony Scott. And based on those, he gets to start writing his own stuff. But he sold those on spec. Nobody has hired him to write anything yet. He's kind of just writing stuff on his own and selling scripts that he's already written where he can. So he starts writing Reservoir Dogs. And because he knew... Sam Raimi and other people working on a lot of those films, he talked to Robert Kurtzman and was like, hey, I want to cut a guy's ear off in Reservoir Dogs. Can you help me do this? And Kurtzman was like, sure, but how about this? I'll pay you $1,500 to take this treatment I have for a vampire movie and turn it into a screenplay. And in return, I'll do all of your effects on Reservoir Dogs for free. What? So... Quentin Tarantino, true to his word, writes from dusk till dawn based on Robert Kurtzman's story treatment, which is why this is considered the first script he was ever paid to write. Everything else he sold on spec or directed himself. So he writes it. They go into development hell. And so because it took so long for this movie to get made, in the meantime, K&B goes on to do Reservoir Dogs for free. And then he hires them to work on Pulp Fiction because then they had an actual budget. Yeah. So they get a little wary in 1993 because Jurassic Park comes out and they're like, no one's going to hire us to do practical effects like this because of computer stuff. And they were seeing a slowdown in work come through with From Dusk Till Dawn. They do this whole movie and it's basically just to showcase what they can do. But it's a little too late because not everyone's using practical effects anymore right except for quentin tarantino <laughs> because he goes on to use them in kill bill any number of other things tom savini goes on to use them in like land of the dead yeah they do chronicles of narnia really Lion, the witch oh. in the wardrobe and they actually get an academy award for best what? makeup and hairstyling and a bafta so at that point greg nicotero kind of goes out on his own and becomes this like force in makeup. Don't get me wrong, K&B is still around doing, doing great makeup. Yeah. But Greg Nicotero becomes the driving force behind a little mo- like a little 
you know, little TV show that got really praised for its makeup. He is the head of all of the makeup and effects on Walking Dead and wins ass load of awards for it. And then in 2001, Nightmare Factory, which is a documentary about their company, (laughs) gets released. But essentially, this movie was made to showcase their special effects, which is why the story is pretty thin. But (laughs) Quentin Tarantino literally bartered it to get the ear scene in Reservoir Dogs. You're welcome. That is amazing. Isn't that crazy? That is. That's insane. Yeah. That's the rabbit hole I fell down where I was like, what happened? That's truly amazing. Those are your fun facts. Thank you for those amazing fun facts. So let's talk box office. Yes. So this movie came out in 1996. What do you think the budget for From Dust Till Dawn was? I think this looks amazing, but knowing Rodriguez, I bet it's low. Um, I'm, he is known for that. He is known for that. Yeah. I'm going to say this is like $8 million. All right. I mean, I think he made El Mariachi for like $7,000. He did, but yeah. this is this is after that. Oh, way after he's that. Got yeah, and a few things under his belt. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mikey, what do you think it was? I'm gonna say ten. All right, the budget was actually twenty million dollars, which surprised oh, wow. me. That, that doesn't surprise me for the amount that I think they probably had to build from scratch. Yeah, but I mean, knowing what we know about Rodriguez, that's why it surprised me because I yeah, my yeah, logic yeah. was close to yours, Paige. Um, mm-hmm. But it came out January nineteenth, nineteen ninety six, and it was number one the weekend it opened, uh, and it beat. Mr. Holland's Opus was number two. Twelve Monkeys was number three. Eye for an Eye was number four. And Grumpier Old Men was number five. All right, so what do you think it made its first weekend out? I I mean, here's the thing. You just read off that list, and I would say that this is one of the only fun movies out that weekend. That's fair. And so I'm going to say this probably made at least 10 to 12 mil that weekend. I'm going to say seven. Okay, it made, Paige, very, very close, $10.2 million in its opening weekend, which is pretty great, I think. Yeah. Uh, What do you think it made in its full domestic box office run? You know, I always thought of this as a movie that didn't do well, but I must be wrong. I think it at least made its budget back. I'm going to say 30. Okay. Mikey, what do you think? I'm going to say 40. All right. It made $25.7 million and then another $7,000 in a very, very limited international release. Mm -hmm. So it made a total of $25.7 million roughly. Um, I don't have how much money it made on DVD and Blu-ray sales because it didn't start tracking that until mid-2000s. But I'm sure this made a bunch of money yeah absolutely and yeah uh like even like blockbuster and video rental stuff like all of that stuff that would have gotten raked in back in the day so i'm sure they made plenty of money off of this movie and this becomes a huge cult class yeah absolutely huge so i mean i bet it made more than its budget back in just dvd and blu-ray sales yeah you're probably right yeah but i mean i just don't have that information because it doesn't track that uh for movies this old but that's your box office so mikey maybe we should do the scary scale yeah, uh, scary scale listeners is a scale of one to ten of how scary we found how scary we found the film when we watched it this time. Yeah, our one example is Ghostbusters, and our ten example is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, Paige, how scary did you find this? This is a one for me, <laughs> Todd. Yeah, same. Solid one for me as well. Solid one for me as triple. Yeah, it's uh, not that scary at all. It's fun. It's a fun movie. Okay. Well, there you go. There's your scary scale. All right. So this week, you guys made me watch From Dust Till Dawn. What are you guys making me watch next week? Paige, the smile on your face right now is making me very concerned. Well, see, here's the thing. So <laughs> this this movie takes place both in America and Mexico. Okay. It's, it's got, you know. So it qualifies. Part, it qualifies. Yeah. And, you know, people seem to really like when Todd's been really scared. So 
La Llorona. Yes. It's La Llorona week. Okay. La Llorona? Yeah. La Llorona. For a second, I thought you said My Sharona, and I was like, song's not not problematic. Love it. It's one of my favorite songs. I know it's bad. It is bad. It's the only song from the Knack that I know. That that album slaps. I highly recommend. Get into it, everybody. It does, but I can't. I couldn't tell you another one of the songs. But all right, so La Llorona. La Llorona. La Llorona. La Llorona. I, I don't know anything about it. Have you guys seen it before? No. Mikey, have you? No. It's supposedly very scary. So your homework for next week is to watch La Llorona and make up a parody about it to the tune of My Sharona. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Yep, That's yep, all you need yep. to do. So, Mikey, do you have a review for us to read? Uh, I did. All right. Well, while you're finding that review again, let me tell them how they can have their review run on the podcast, and that is simply to leave us a five-star text review and maybe have Paige read it and have her do it in the Buffalo Bill accent. You know, whatever you want. We'll do it. So, Mikey, who's you going to read this week? Uh, I'm going to read Super Compass. All right. What does Super Compass have to say? Every Southern Gentleman Buffalo Bill dot dot dot. I don't know what the rest of it says as the title. Okay. Well, I mean. But. We all learned something about how long titles can be just now, and that's a good lesson for all of us to learn. (laughs) They say, I often find myself screaming at this podcast, (laughs) but in a fun way. Oh, good. Good, 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 good. It says, even Southern Gentleman Buffalo Bill would give it five stars. Ah. I just looked it up on a different platform. (laughs) (laughs) It is hilarious. It puts the fun in the podcast. It puts it the fun in the podcast. It puts it the fun in the podcast. <laughs> they pick, they pick up some great films to scare the Todd with. <laughs> I like how you just started to go into an Italian accent after that. I just, I'm just like always ready. <laughs> and I feel like they might be making him hate horror even more. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> Southern Buffalo Bill says five stars. Great big fun podcast. Aw, yay. Well, thank you so much, Super Compass, for that amazing five-star review. And if you want to have your review run on the podcast, leave us a five-star review. Yes. So, guys, if you like this show but want to hear this power thruple on another movie review show about romance and romantic comedies, check out Romancing the Pod, where Mikey, Paige, and I break down and make fun of romantic movies. It's a lot of fun, guys. Check it out. If you want to follow us on social, please do. We are at Horror Virgin or online at HorrorVirgin.com. If you want to follow us all individually, you can do that as well. Paige is at Paige Wesley on Twitter or Rampage Wesley everywhere else, including TikTok. Mikey is at mrandolph24 and I am at Todd J. Awesome. If you like the show so much and you want to help financially support it, please do by going to patreon.com slash horrorvirgin where you can get a lot of great levels and a lot of great stuff like bonus episodes, director's cut episodes where they're a little bit longer and you get them actually a day earlier mm-hmm, than the mm-hmm. regular feed drop. We do a lot of great things like listener requests and stuff like that. So guys, check out yeah. the Patreon and help support the show. If you can't financially support the show, that's understandable. That's fine. But if you want to hang out with us on the daily, join the Facebook group uh, at facebook.com slash group slash We also link it like once a week. So just find it there and join the awesome Facebook group. And literally, we're in there talking every day. It's awesome. And if you want to check out our Twitch stream, we're at twitch.tv slash Todd Awesome, where we will be playing horror video games. So if you have always wondered what it would be like to watch me get scared, you can now do that on Twitch while I play these horror games. It's Twitch.tv slash Todd Awesome, guys. Check it out. It's a lot of fun for you. Not a lot of fun for me. This episode brought to you by Nick, Nick B. B. Nick 
B fun fact. Oh, yeah? He went to a strip club in Mexico. A strip club? Strip club. Oh, club. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah. And he uh, got to watch a P word dance, and that P word was penis. <laughs> <laughs> Thought we were going to get him to say it there for one second. Thought for one <laughs> second he was going to drop the P word, but he did not. Have you been satisfied? No. Let's just move on. <laughs> so this episode was also brought to you by Ori. And Ori honestly like knows how to save the day. It was just me and Mikey alone at this bar, and we were like fighting off a bunch of vampires. And then out of nowhere, Ori kicks open the door, and a bunch of light just shines in, and Mikey and I were able to run outside while the uh, you know the disco ball of light blew up the other vampires, and Ori honestly saved the day. <laughs> then Mikey punched them in the face. I don't know. Mikey, he has anger issues. Sorry about that, Ori. I do have anger issues. I know. It's about communication, Mike. If you would just communicate, it would be easier. I do communicate with violence. <laughs> I do communicate with <laughs> violence. <laughs> That's still a valid method. <laughs> uh, this episode was also brought to you by Awesome Possum Blossom. And Awesome Possum Blossom wants me to give you some awesome possum facts. So here's one for you. Possums love all types of cookies, but prefer Oreos. Why? They're vegan. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Do they eat the inside first and then the outside? They do. And it's adorable because they have those little paws and they have to like yep. squeeze them together and like pull them apart very carefully. And they just like head first into the cream. And then they like, they like having cream all over their they face. They do. They love having a cream <laughs> face. And then like they eat as much as they can and they pull back. And it looks like they're a cokehead. It's really cute. It honestly is adorable. If you Google possums eating Oreos and if you find any videos, send them to me because I'm sure they don't <laughs> exist, but I want to see them. Anyway, so that's your uh, possum fun fact, Mikey. Do you like it? No, I hated it. Fantastic. So. This episode also brought to you by the letter Jeff, and Jeff wants you to check out his podcast, Kissing Jessica Jones, where each week they uh, break down an episode of Jessica Jones, the Netflix Marvel TV show that was on Netflix for... Yeah, ongoing now. Still going. Is it still going? No, it's not. Season 17. Oh, wow. Okay, awesome. Well, enjoy season 17 of the fan fiction series, Kissing Jessica Jones. This episode also brought to you by Taco Cat, and Taco Cat wants you to check out his podcast, What's Your Dick Shaking At You, Bartender Wise? (laughs) 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 It's actually called What's New Barkeep? Whoa, 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 whoa. And it's a show where a bunch of nerds uh, just talk about a bunch of nerdy shit like D&D and LARPing and comics, as well as like bigger pop culture topics like movies, anime, TV shows. And they have a drink. Yeah, well, and they have a new drink every show. They're just trying out new drinks while they, you know, talk about pop culture stuff. So, yeah, check out What's New Barkeep. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. This episode also brought to you by Brandon's Bug Business. And Brandon's Bug Business is actually called Bug Cage Company on Facebook, where if you need any spiders, centipede, millipede, or any other pee that you might need for practical or pranking purposes, reach out to Bug Cage Company on Facebook, where they will ship you some bugs. And it's bugs, B-U-G-S. Not drugs, wanky blanky. Mm-hmm. They won't ship you drugs. But what if I snort cockroaches? Oh, then they will ship you some cockroaches. <laughs> oh we God. now return you to another episode of The, the Patreonicals. Mm, I'm having a real hard time remembering what happened last episode, so stand with us together. We're going to get through this. We now They're return you mind. to another. <laughs> 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 All right, Mike, okay. so where did we leave off last week? Eddie and <laughs> Sasha are bad guys now. Yes, because they fell in love. Right? Yeah. They fell in love, and Sasha was mad because 
I don't like behavior analysts. Oh, wait, is that real? Did she, like, message you on Patreon? And she's like, hey, I don't like that you don't like behavioral analysts. It wasn't even her. It was somebody else that was like, why don't you like behavioral analysts? And I was like, I'll show you. <laughs> yeah, so Sasha starts speaking, and she's like, you know what I've been doing for the last 30 years? Wow. Analyzing behavior. And murdering children. <laughs> wow. This took a dark turn. Mikey, is she single? <laughs> no, I want kids. Yeah, so does she. To murder As opponents? them. opponents? <laughs> with Eddie. <laughs> no, she's like, Eddie and I have teamed up because you're all worthless pieces of crap and do, a, you know, we, we did this speech last week, so we're moving on from that. Right. She, let's, just, let's just say she gives a great impassioned speech that makes her motivation super clear like Michael Keaton in that Spider-Man movie he did where you're like, holy shit, is he the hero? Yeah. Oh, man. It's like that level of good. Just like... Just know that we're going to fix it in post, but Mikey didn't write that for this. Yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah. No cuts or whatever. Yeah. And then uh, <laughs> we're rolling through, but it was really a great speech. Um, Tristam is very injured. He's very beat up. So Kate grabs Tristam as uh, Eddie is making out with Sasha in public, which is like a doubly evil thing, I think. It's like eating dinner with Todd and Natalie. Yeah, oh, I was going to wow. say at a Mexican restaurant <laughs> wow. during now dinner. Now you're coming after the PDA that me and my lovely lady display. It's not appropriate in a Chewy's. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Listen, if I can't kiss my girlfriend at a Chewy's over some like creamy jalapeno sauce, I don't know where I can. Not with tongue. Not with tongue. Did I, I drop tongue, tongue at Chewy's? That's how you taste yes. the creamy jalapeno sauce. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So if I can't kiss my girlfriend with tongue at Chewy's, where can I kiss her with tongue in your home is that the <laughs> only place yes also porn theaters <laughs> or places that are like dark i don't know not in front of me while i'm trying to eat because you're kind of an awkward kisser oh that hurts that hurts my <laughs> i have told you things that i regret telling you I constructed that joke hours ago and have been ready to use it for a long time. You know too uh. much, you son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm in a relationship living together successfully. Boo. Just because I kiss like Tom Cruise in Rock of Ages doesn't mean it's a awkward kisser. Yeah, it does. It does mean. That's exactly what it means. Awkward's like... The polite way to talk about Anyway, we're getting <laughs> off track. So, uh, uh, Kate picks up Tristam, uses her psychic powers, which have, because of the adrenaline rush, have come back. And she's like, Scott, the thing guy, she's like, piggyback. And so she, like, gets on him, and then they, they float out of the Moonodome. Dome. Also, the aliens had put a they put a uh, atmosphere on the moon, and there's breathable air, and that's just what you need to know at this point. <laughs> okay, so it's terrifying. I love how we've been go. on the moon for I don't know thirty episodes, and we're just now finding out they have an atmosphere. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, so so Dave wakes up, and um, Eddie is like. Dave is, Dave is a decent dude. He hasn't really killed any animals, but she's like, you know what? He's one of them. Sasha is more like the the Quinn Tarantino character of the Gecko Brothers in this. Okay, so, so like, she, well, um, loose cannon, if you will. She was like, analyze that, and then she stabs him over and over again in the chest, takes out his intestines, wraps them around his neck, ties him to a post, and then like um, puts him up like four or five feet and does like human tetherball with his intestines, and he wraps <laughs> around it, and then he dies and falls down. Mm. But he's going to come back because he, he regenerates. Yeah, 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 yeah. He yeah. just doesn't live a great 
life over and life over and over. But to be anyway, clear, this is what he asked for, right? Right. So Isaac and evil <laughs> Matthew look at each other like, Kate left us. We are doubly evil now because we have been abandoned. <laughs> but at that moment, Domosaurus breaks through the wall with uh, Karun, and he's like, Domorari me. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Domorosaurus, I'm Domosaurus. And then he eats a, a space python and spits out the helmet. It hits Eddie in the <laughs> head, and he gets knocked unconscious. <laughs> Domasaurus is a badass. That's amazing. And Karun punches Sasha in the face and is like, oh, I hate touching you filthy humans. It's so disgusting. And then they, they're they like, come on, Isaac and uh, evil Eddie. Um, evil Matthew. <laughs> Everybody's turned evil. Damn it. Uh, and then um, they ride off. Uh, they get out with uh, – they're running across the moon with uh, Domasaurus. And uh, Karun's like, hey, I think we found another spaceship. Do you all want to come? Because it's like – fucking weird up here or whatever <laughs> like, that's the end of the episode there you go the end or is it <laughs> what's going on in dave's life that he wants to be killed in every episode just how bad at kissing am i what's more <laughs> disgusting watching dumbosaurus eat a python or watching mikey eat chicken wings find out next week on another episode of uh, the, the patreonicals that's going to be it for us this week. I'm Paige. I'm Mikey. And I am your horror virgin, Todd. Keep it ooky spooky. Yeah. Have a great week. Bye. 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 Awkward kissing nurse. <laughs> <laughs> you know too much. <laughs> Judas nurse. I told you that All in right. confidence, Mikey. Confidence. <laughs>